0: Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus responds to something he sees. He responds with a miracle. Don't you want Jesus to respond to the needs in your life with a miracle? What is it that causes Jesus to respond? I've got some great news this morning. We are no longer in Chapter 1 of Mark. <laughs> Pastor Steve wrapped that up last week. We are now starting in Chapter 2. That's great, isn't it? That's exciting. Woo! I'm Ken Can, one of the elders here at the Orchard, and I'm honored to be able to stand in this morning for Pastor Steve once again. And I was asked, Ken, why do you do the, the did-you-knows? Well, there, there is a purpose, you know. They, they are fun. They're exciting at times. They give us a little bit of history, right, at times. But also, I, I look at them and stand amazed at what God does with some of those did-you-knows and what he allows man to do, which sometimes I question because it's, it's confusing at times. But... But I did have a couple of did-you-knows that we could use in in preference of of the message this morning, and I always try to tie it in somehow, right? So I'll just kind of kick it off right here. Did you know that one of the largest pyramids in the world are right here in the United States of America? Yeah, so right here, it stands 321 feet tall. That's huge, you know, that's if you take a football... Uh, field stand it on end. It's going to be higher than a football field. It's incredible, and it can hold up to nine football fields inside. You could put nine football fields inside the pyramid. And you're saying, where is it? It's in Memphis, Tennessee, and it's the Bass Pro Shops mega store. Has anybody ever been there? <laughs> no, nobody's ever been there. It's huge. It, it has a, an indoor huge bowling alley it has a mall do you know what a mall is yeah. okay yeah it's that place where you go shopping there's all kind of stores inside there right there's restaurants that you could ever imagine and then of course all of the bass pro shop stuff yeah so but it's it's in a pyramid it's huge when you go to memphis that's probably the only reason you'd ever go there, unless you have family, right? But uh, check it out. It's pretty cool. But And did you know that there is a toilet museum? I did not know that Pastor Steve and Pastor Jeff were going to do that this morning, and so I was kind of laughing at that. I said, God, you man, what a sense of humor. That's awesome. But yeah, there is a toilet museum, and it's in New Delhi. I don't know, has anybody ever been to New Delhi? Because... If you go there, if I ever go there, I am going to have to go to the Toilet Museum. You know, and they're known for a very rare collection that they call, and it's it's called the Historic Evolution of Toilets. And it dates back to several hundred years B.C., all the way to present. Now, I don't know about you, but I could just see my wife, what she would be telling me if I was walking through this museum, and she would say, don't, don't, Ken, don't, please don't, please don't. But... (laughs) You know how would you respond if you were walking through a toilet museum? Like, oh my, huh, wow! Or you go like, yeah, yeah, that that's a good one. Or, or you would say like, hey, I got to try that one. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It would be it would be <laughs> it would it would be amazing. But uh, yeah, so there is a toilet museum. Oh, and did you know Antarctica is the fifth largest continent in the world. The fifth largest. Antarctica is so big you can put the entire United States and Mexico inside Antarctica and there would still be space left over. It is absolutely amazing. And do you know that the population this year in 2023 in the continent of Antarctica is anywhere from 4,400 people to possibly 5,000 during the summer months. And the population is made up of all of the members of all the research facilities from around the world that go there. There are no permanent residents that live in Antarctica. They are all temporarily permanent. 4,400 to 5,000 in that large of a space. And did you know that 98 percent of Antarctica is covered with one mile thickness of ice, up to three miles thick in some areas. That is absolutely incredible. It holds, it holds 90% of the world's ice, of all the ice in the world, is in Antarctica. And inside of there, there are lakes and waterways of fresh water where there's 70% of our fresh water is there in Antarctica. It's just, it's absolutely incredible. And did you know in Antarctica there are eight churches? There are four Catholic churches, three Eastern Orthodox churches, and one undenominational church. And what did God give us in Scripture? Right? What did he give us? What was that that thing that we look at? To go where? Right? Right? To go ye, yeah, he gave us the Great Commission, and he said to go ye into all the world and do what? Preach Preach the gospel, right? The story. Tell them about Jesus. And so we do have, there are some there in Antarctica that are doing that today. Isn't that incredible when you think about that, how big of a space that is, but yet how small a number of people there are. But still, there are those that God is sending to spread the gospel. I just thought that was kind of cool, and you can do with it what you want. But that brings us to where we are, and we're just going to dive into our, our study this morning. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 12. But there's a question that I want to ask you first, and I just want you to think about it. Don't try to answer it right now, but I just want you to think about this question as we go through these, these verses together. What is the most distinct benefit that Christianity has to offer the world. What is the most distinct benefit that Christianity has to offer the world? So just kind of think about that. morning, And I'll come back to it in a little while. So let's just go right in. Let's get into Mark chapter 2, and let's look at verses 1 and 2 right now. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. He is Jesus. So verse 1 tells us Jesus returned to Capernaum, and he had, he had been there previously, and he was preaching and teaching, and now he, he had returned again. And scripture also references that Jesus had come home. And so, what we're doing is we we kind of refer and through our studies and history that we found home most likely was was Peter's home, uh, at you know, and that's where he would stay when he re, would return. But I know that theologians they'll debate that a little bit because in the Hebrew text, uh, home would be considered any place that you would stay. But we're just we'll just say that he he was at Peter's home, and that's where Jesus would stay. And also, we see that people heard that Jesus. Came home. And so what happens where Jesus is? Yeah. Everybody seems to show up, right? And that's exactly what had. So there were large crowds that were coming to gather to see him. And verse 2 confirms that. The crowd and the incredible interest that people had in Jesus. Jesus, he said to be preaching the word. And the word that Jesus is preaching is most likely what he had previously been preaching in his message. And and we would find that back when we were in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 where Jesus says the time is fulfilled or the kairos is pleroma. Do you remember those words from from maybe a month ago or so? The kairos is pleroma. Right? The time is is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here's where God reveals his love for us, and he brings salvation to us through the good news of Jesus. And as believers, we're already, we, you and I, we've already experienced this wonderful gift that God has given to us through salvation, and we need to make sure that we're following Jesus' incredible example that he's given to us. And that brings us to our first fill-in-the-blank on your page. Jesus continues to preach, to share the good news. Jesus continues to share the good news. You might want to put even in parentheses under that. I need to be doing that also. That's what it's all about. This is our year of evangelism, right? Sharing the gospel. Seeing what God's going to do. Boy, let's go to verse 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Wow. And they, they came bringing to him a paralytic. The they is those four men. And what's really interesting in here, when we see in, in verse 3 that four men bringing a paralytic to Jesus, the fact that the verse even references that it's Four men is pretty incredible, right? Because now we already know that this, this paralytic man, he couldn't walk, obviously, let alone probably not even crawl, right? And could you imagine having to try to move one man, okay? It, it would take four people to be able to carry this. We don't know how far these men had to carry him to try to get to where they were, but in verse 4 we see that, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd... They removed the roof above him. So they removed the roof above Jesus. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Sometimes in different references, the word bed might be a mat. It might be a pallet. We don't know exactly, so that's why in the... uh, in the EVS, it's were a bed. So they let down the bed that the paralytic lay on. Let's take a moment and just look at what a typical Galilean home might look like. So I have a couple of, of photos that we wanna look at. So let's look at the very first one. So here we see uh, what could possibly be a typical Galilean home. Now, homes aren't like what you and I have, right? We do not want our house connected to anybody else. We need space, right? And sometimes we need a lot of space between. But they didn't have that option. Homes were, that's what you call zero lot lines. That is truly a zero lot line. Their homes are, they're connected. They may not have passageways through to to connect in between them, but they are built right on top of one another. And you can see here that uh, there's even a, a set of stairs that goes up, possibly to another room, or that might even be another home. But one thing that you also see is a majority of all their homes had flat roofs sometimes they had stairs that would go up but sometimes you'll see a ladder here that is just over the edge that could be put down for them to get up here if they couldn't reach it by the steps and so the roofs back in that time were used just like you and I use our decks or our porches today right? We we love to gather on them, right? When we have people over the house, we, we don't want to be inside. We, a lot of times we don't have enough room inside, so we, we would invite them up on the roof. We would invite them out on our deck. Come on out here, hang out, you know, and, and we'll enjoy our time together. And that's exactly what they, they did there. And so let's take a look at the inside of what a Galilean home would look like. And this kind of here is just And they had, you know, openings, and sometimes they would use timber to close those openings, just like they would use the door. But also, I wanted you to kind of get a look at the ceiling on the inside. So you can see the timber that was used to support the roof. And then also, on the top, they would use other pieces of timber, uh, branches. Uh, They would use whatever they could get, uh, and they called it brush, a lot of times. They would just get brush and they would put the brush down across the timbers. And then on top of that, let's take a look at the next picture, what it looks like. And you'll see how they would put mud on top of all of that. Oop, back one picture. There we go. So here we see where the timbers are. And then we see all the other, the brush, uh, all the uh, the branches and the twigs that they would use and then on top of it they would then start putting the mud the clay and then they even made you can see that uh, this this particular picture was so old which was kind of cool that it has a branch so you can see the branch where they had a stone that they made round so that they could use to roll the mud out and that's what they would use to make it flat and depending on, on how much that they needed to support is, is how they would determine how thick. At times it could be from one thick to two foot thick uh, of that roof and on top of that. So just to kind of get a picture of that right there. And so when we go to the very next picture in here, now you can kind of see how thick that is where there was a hole in this particular roof between the timbers. Because they couldn't get through the timbers, they were way too big. But they were able to cut through, get all of the clay, the mud, the sticks out of the way so that there was a hole in there. So I wanted to share those pictures just so you you and I could just kind of put ourselves in that room if we had the opportunity to be in that room. And in verse 4, when we saw that they couldn't get near him because of the crowd, right, and these men moved this paralytic... To the roof and scripture says they removed the roof well they removed the roof we don't hear how they removed the roof but if you had to get through that well could you imagine the noise that was going on down inside while well, Jesus is standing there and he's teaching and he's preaching it would be like our life group could you imagine if we invited Jesus to our life group not only would everybody in the church show up, but man, if people heard all around Gilmer County and all the surrounding areas, we'd have so many people there, we wouldn't know what to do, right? And Jesus would be preaching in there. They couldn't get to the door. They went to the roof, right? And then they started digging, pounding. Could you imagine what, if somebody was on your roof trying to get through your roof, what would happen? Well, you wouldn't be very happy, would you? No, not at all, but it'd be a lot of noise, you know, and eventually there'd be stuff falling down. So if these men were on the roof trying to get through the roof to make a hole large enough, it would just be absolutely incredible noise that was going on, and eventually there would be dirt. There would be branches, twigs falling down in there. Boy, so when when you think about that, and then big enough, a hole big enough that they could lower... A paralytic man on his bed down through that hole well obviously I don't think they could make it if the bed was like five or six feet long they couldn't lower it that way right they they probably stood him on end you know and then on top of that they'd have enough uh, cloth or rope to wrap this paralytic in so that they could get him down through the hole right and eventually lower him all the way down on the ground in front of Jesus it's amazing when you start really thinking about what took place during that time when the pounding started on the roof and they had to dig out a hole large enough to get the paralytic through. So now you got a huge hole in the roof, right? All of a sudden a man appears on a bed and he's being lowered all the way down on the ground in front of Jesus. And Jesus sees the paralytic man here. And if you could imagine Jesus looking up and he's seeing four faces Four other men up on the roof looking down at him. Absolutely incredible, right? And then we come to verse 5. And in verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. There's a lot of stuff in this one little verse right there. A lot of stuff. But when we see this right here, and when Jesus saw their faith, what kind of faith did Jesus see in those men? What kind of faith was Jesus talking about that he saw in those four men? And I don't have this scripture, I won't put it up, but Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing. Hearing. And hearing comes from the Word of God. Right? And in James chapter 2, James reminds us that faith by itself, if it's not accompanying by action, it is dead. Wow. So when we look at that, James also continues to share with us after he says that, but he said, deeds and actions are the byproduct of a living faith. Faith without works is dead. But the byproduct of a living faith are our deeds, are our actions. So when we think about that, what kind of faith that God saw, He saw in those men a living faith, a true faith, right? These men turned their faith into action. And that brings us to our very next blank on our page, Does Jesus see my faith? Does Jesus see my faith? So the faith of these four men, it caused them to do everything that they needed to do to get their friend in front of Jesus. Why? Because they believed in Jesus. That's the faith that God saw. They had a living faith. A true faith. They had already heard the word. They already knew, they already believed that Jesus could heal their friend, their paralytic friend. And they did everything that they could possibly do to get him and to put him in front of Jesus. So I'm going to hit the pause button for just a quick moment here. Do you remember that question that I asked you at the very beginning? And it's not, did you know? What's the most distinctive benefit that Christianity has to offer the world? And of course, we would probably want to say, right, to escape the wrath of God poured out on sinners eternally in hell, which is true. But when we look at Scripture and we go back and we look at what Jesus said when he saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, Son, your sons, your sins, are forgiven. That is absolutely awesome. So Jesus took care of the paralytic's most important need. And what was his most important need, that that most distinctive difference that Christianity has to offer the world, what did Jesus do? He forgave him. The very most important thing that Jesus wanted to do was to forgive him. Then came the healing. If we truly love God and we truly love others, right, that's what we're all about here at the Orchard, right? Loving God, loving others, and making disciples, right? If we truly love God and we truly love others, we're going to find ourselves exercising that living faith by sharing the gospel with others, right? We have a lot of grandparents here this morning, right? Myself is one, right? Grandparents. And and some of us still have living parents, But also we have sons and daughters. We have our own children. And our children have children. We have grandchildren. We have sisters and brothers. We have aunts, uncles, family members all over the world. Right? Youth. You all have friends. You all have brothers and sisters. Aunt and uncle, family members. And when we're looking at that, When we're thinking about what God has called us to do as believers, are we willing to exercise our faith to do something so radical? To do something so unpredictable? But yet with a purpose? To do whatever it takes to get an unsaved family member, friend, do whatever it takes to get them in front of Jesus. That is a living faith. And you know what? This is a great place to start. Man, what a great opportunity is to invite them to church. Invite them to our life group. Invite them to a Wednesday youth event. Invite them to an OG outing event. Invite them to a women's luncheon or just get together with a small group. Invite them. Wouldn't it be amazing if God chose to bring salvation and healing to someone you know through you, through your faith, because they were able to see your faith? And that brings us to our next blank on our page. Do others see my faith? Do others see my faith? So the story's not over yet. Let's continue. So we're we're in chapter 6. All right, we're almost halfway through. So now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts... Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So verse 6 and 7, as we're looking at them, the, the scribes mentioned here are somewhat of a contrast to the four men and the paralytic who had such great faith in Jesus, right? Here are the scribes. They're questioning in their hearts, and they were thinking about what is Jesus doing? The the scribes in their minds and in their hearts, they accused Jesus of blasphemy, which is punishable by death. But they weren't accusing him because he was claiming to be God, but because he was exercising the act of forgiveness that is solely God's work alone. And at that moment, whether the scribes believe it or not, their questions give light on the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And he's the only one that could have the authority to forgive sins without being blasphemous. And that brings us to verse 8. And immediately, immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. In verse eight and nine, Jesus, he was fully aware of what the scribes were thinking, and he immediately responded to them. And he asked them, Why are you thinking these things? And his response wasn't in anger to them, but he was teaching. When he asked them, What's easier, to forgive the paralytic? or to heal him. Neither one of those acts could have been accomplished by man, but only by God. And when Jesus answered them immediately, verse 10, he said, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins Wow. So verse 10, when we're looking at that, Jesus says, but that you may know. He's indicating that if he heals a paralytic, he's proving to the scribes and all who are present that he has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. This is the first of 14 different times in the book of Mark that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And an interesting thing to note in this passage, Jesus doesn't say that he's received authority to forgive sins, but he says the Son of Man has authority. This would imply to the people that he is the promised Messiah. And he said to the paralytic in verse 11, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Wow. Verse 12, And he, the paralytic, rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Wow. Verse 11 and 12, here's Jesus' pattern again that Pastor Steve has been talking about. Right? He's been preaching it and now he's proving it once again. He's been preaching it and he's proving it once again. He commands the paralytic to pick up his bed and walk. And he does. This confirms Jesus' authority, his ability to forgive and to heal. The verse goes on to say that they were... All amazed. The fact that it says all, it included everyone that was there. Everyone. Didn't leave any anybody out. Even the scribes who were so quick to criticize in their hearts what Jesus is doing. And here's where the story ends. You don't hear anything else at that very moment. You didn't hear anything else about the scribes they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And that brings us to the very last blank on your page. I want to say, I have never seen anything like this. I want to say, I have never seen anything like this.